Hello, and welcome to The Real Writing Process. I'm your host, Tom Pepperdine, and this episode, my guest is the fantasy author, J.L. Warat. Now, there's a great story about how we met and why he's on the show, but I start to tell it about a minute into the interview, so to save me repeating myself, we'll just get straight into it. And I'm here with J.L. Warrad. Hello, Jim. Hello there. How are we doing? All right? I'm very well. My first question to you, as always, what are we drinking? Well, I've got coffee to get me awake, and then I've got water, and then finally, I don't know why I'm lifting these up, then I've got wine. Yes, cheers. So, cheers. Okay. I'm in the middle, the middle glass of there. That's very good. It was a 20 um, quid bottle at Sainsbury's, but they ooh, did it off price. So I was like, oh, well, that's like, it. Oh, always love a bargain. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, which of these trifecta would you say is your writing drink? Oh, good question. Generally, the brown here, the coffee, and very caffeine fueled. And then for the inspiration, I turn to Dionysos and uh, hit the wine. Yeah. A lot of the book Penny Blapers do all the wine, as I recall. Well, I saved this from the intro because I wanted to say this because we actually only met 10 days ago. And it's a funny story, which is why I wanted to share it. I was checking into the hotel at Eastercon and your friend Dan, who's part of your writing group, was in front of me. And we just got talking and he was like, you've got to meet Jim. He's an amazing writer. He writes about about horny elves. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that sounds good. And then I didn't meet you until later on in the night in the classic writing convention, BarCon, where everyone congregates and the, the, the networking really begins. And you had definitely had a few pints by then. Because <laughs> Dan was just like, oh, Tom, come and meet Jim. He writes about horny elves. And you're like, I do. Do you like horny elves? I write about horny elves. And I was just like, sure. Who doesn't like horny elves? So I was just like, my book launches tomorrow. Come along. And I was like, I, I will come along. I shall listen to an excerpt of The Horny Elves. And then I shall buy said book on Horny Elves, which I duly did. And you signed. Uh, oh, thank really? you very much. Yeah. And I got you to sign in blue, in line with the language. And I come back and I was like, all right, let's, let's give this a go. I was blown away. It's really good. It's well written. It's not what you expect. When someone says a horny elf book, I expected irreverent humor, almost a parody type style of fantasy. Oh, yeah, yeah, Not yeah. the sophisticated commentary on cultural misunderstandings and clashes and the class system and having a matriarchal society and yeah, just sort of like gender politics and there's notes on religion. And I was just like, yeah, the central character is a horny elf, but <laughs> there's a lot going on here. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's the problem. When, when, a, when a horny elf's running at you, you tend to miss the sort of the, the surroundings, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I tend to focus on that. It's, it's properly, you know, there's yeah, sort of clear cultures, strong characters, a really strong plot. And it was just like, I understand why Titan picked it up. I was just like, okay, this is not a self-published little thing. And it's promoted the hell out of it. And it's got quotes from you know, Anthony Ryan on the front, Anna Smith, Spark on the back, RJ Barker, friend of the show, RJ. And yeah, I was just, oh, I get this. Oh, I get why there's such a buzz about it. And it was the creativity juice of Red Wine. And I love it so much, but it's just like, I didn't know who the fuck you were 10 days ago. 
Um, I barely yeah. know you now. We've had I'm a few just, drinks together I, and you very kindly did a mini episode, but it's just, I want the audience to know as much as I love this book, it's not vested interest in you um, <laughs> because I don't know you. It's, no, I love the book. And then as reading the book, it was like, no, I need him on my show. Uh, I need to know the mind that can write so well and write, you know, about a holy out. It's just, it was very unexpected, Jim. And uh, this is your first, you've written science fiction in the past, but this is your first, like, out and out fantasy. Yeah, yeah, which I wrote on sort of a whim, really. I've I've been doing the science fiction for a while, so maybe presses. And then I was just like, I had some time spent. Like, oh, we're going to try just a, a fantasy. Yeah, no big idea. I'll just make this character go along, see what they bump into. I, I didn't really world build all that much. I went, okay, it'll be like a, a weird elf island. If that's going to be a weird elf island, I better have a very sort of generic human mainland that you can yeah. relate to, like your, your fantasy medieval world. And I just send them along, see what happens, and see what gets created. It's a process I've never done before. I'm a world builder by trade, governor. And um, well, when they do novels, and then oh, this one, I just went, I'll do it bit by bit. I think I said it in the Shaw interview, where it's just a lazy architect approach. Yeah. And, uh, the thing was, I, I wrote the whole thing because I, I wasn't going to send it anywhere. In fact, I had this romantic idea. I just pressed delete after I finished it. It was yeah. just going to be a writing exercise. Okay. And then I didn't. So after I got to the end, I was like, actually, this is all right. Yeah. I'm not going to send it anywhere because the reason there's hoardy elves and weirdness and some dark stuff and some funny stuff, and whatever it is, it's, it's near the knuckle, you know. Yeah. And I was like, well, no one's ever going to see it. It's just enjoy writing for its own sake. Yeah. And then um, I, I got to the end. It was like, actually, it's probably the best thing I've ever written. <laughs> 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 you know, we just take the, the fear off. So, so has uh, this fundamentally changed your writing process then? You, like you say, you used to be a world builder. Are you now very character driven? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, looking back though, I mean, um, the, the science fiction space opera I did before, it was like an idea and a plot, but then the idea was very character. It was like, what happens if you've got a, a planet with people raised to have several personalities? So that's a very character idea, even though it's a big sci-fi idea. You've got personalities clashing with each other inside the same school or whatever. And so, yes, yeah, so that was always there, but then when I went, okay, I was kind of, kind of a cool piss takey character and just go for it and it just seemed to click so yeah maybe i guess i'm a character writer yeah and are yeah. you working on a novel now yeah yeah they get their titan bless them mm-hmm. they uh not only were they crazy enough to print the first one they said yeah i have two but that, that made me thanks to my agent max who's absolutely sweetie so there's a second they went i'm a second one I was oh can i do a sequel they're like mm-hmm. do a standalone and see how it goes, all the other stuff. And so I'm working on a standalone fantasy book, but it is in the same world. Okay. So, you know, yeah, D- yeah. Completely different characters. Completely different characters. It may even be a different century. I'm not too sure oh, yet. Right. Okay, that's cool. Get that pulled. Get that pulled. But yeah. I, get, I, I guess then a lot of the world building's done for you. And so it was just the mm. draw of the character. Um, yeah, yeah, again, it's the character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, is it one point of view? Is it multiple point of view? Oh, this one is, yeah, I, I went a bit, maybe I went a bit too ambitious, but yeah, this is more a uh, third person, uh, obviously Penny plays first person. This is like seven different people's views. It's a bit of a courtly intrigue thing going on. So hopefully you get a bit drawn, you know, oh, I don't know if it's mm. sideways, they're falling against each other, but I like them both. That's the feel I want from the reader. Okay. So uh, it's a, yeah, that kind of thing. 
And was it just as soon as you started mapping it out, you felt that this was best as a third person? Or was it you started it as first and were like, this isn't working? Yeah. Yeah, I had one third person for one character, mm-hmm. uh, just this this guy, and he's one of the many bastard brothers of the king. But whereas the others are all nightly and getting advice of that, he's that kind of guy. So he's got into the theatre world. So he's kind of an impresario theatre type. So he's got a foot in the in the royal keep and a foot out on the streets. So that's mm. his kind of thing. So that's like that was nice. Mm. And he was going along, but then it's like, well, hang on, okay, the queen hates him. So I'd like to get into the queen's head. Yeah. There's a bit of a war, a bit of a pass. So then you do that. And then by the end of it, it's like, oh, let's get inside everyone's heads. Come on, it's a party. <laughs> yeah. sort, of a, sort of a book. <laughs> and when you're developing a character, do you keep their traits and you know their history and everything in your head? Or do you like to map things out and actually write a biography? Or I know sometimes you read writing exercises of interview your character. Uh, do you do yeah. any of that sort of thing? I don't sit down and make a big list of where they keep their stocks or what they think yeah. of this. I don't like trapping them. Mm. I like the first few chapters get, getting to know them. It's like an organic thing. It sounds so pretentious, but I do like having chats with them that's a weird way of putting it you know what I mean it's yeah you get a void from them they pull a yeah. certain way and I'm very much into that and it's a weird thing that some of them are better at improvising than others when you write a scene which is really odd I don't know what that's about but uh an episode well, that's uh, gone out recently with the Bonnie Garmus she oh, yeah. she said this great thing about having to sort of translate, almost articulate her characters because some of her characters are illiterate and they can't really communicate themselves well. And it is, you do have to treat them like real people. And it's like you say, some are very good improvisers, some are very lightning quick, but not all of them are because they're all multifaceted, complex characters. They're they're very real in your head and it's communicating that on the page and to the reader. So, yeah, yeah. I, can, I completely understand. That's definitely, you're not alone. That's definitely an author thing. Oh, that's cool, man. It's, you know, <laughs> I, I, I do have one thing I do is probably very weird. When I get a good character, like, where I work, my, my day job, well, my night job, I, I work at a hotel at night. And uh, every hour you have to do a walk around, around the end, around the, everyone's asleep, and you go around the corridors, make sure there's no noise. So what I'll do is I'll get into the mind of this character now, I'll do a hotel walk around if they had to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very often they'll be bored or they'll be really into it or whatever. You come yeah. out and at the end, you go, yeah, okay, I can write this character. Nice. <laughs> that's, so it's, that's very method, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's like I'm walking back. a mile in their shoes. It's, it's walking oh, a hotel right. in their shoes. Walking a hotel in their shoes. Yeah, nice. yeah. No one's ever popped out of the room to get yeah. a towel and see me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's when you start dressing as the character yeah. to do your walk. <laughs> I think, I I think fights, yeah, right? there might be a few phone calls, a few emails then. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say, it's the, it's the new uniform. <laughs> On that then, uh, moving from character development, oh. I, I do want to talk, because oh. uh, obviously you said you're a world builder uh, initially with your science fiction, but your general approach to research, do you like to have a real world basis on like physics and certain developments? Of it, or do you just want it to be like adventure in my head? So is it all made up, or do you have a real world base and research stuff? Yeah, I I did classical studies at uni, so I'm a bit classics now and ancient history and stuff like that. So I've got a compost heap in the back of my head of knowledge of how other cultures behave. Cultures have been built on very different ways and means. So yeah, I just sort of go by that really. 
Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think with culture oh. is based a, a lot on art and the stories that are told mm. and obviously the oral history of different cultures. You look at different religions, uh, different world religions and how they're born out of their mythos and yeah. those religions then base the moral standpoint of that culture and i think if you have studied in a background where you have read widely on the development of culture through the arts yeah. and how, how it's yeah. developed across the world it can lend itself to a world where you're going okay i want them to have this kind of moral compass and this kind of worldview so what kind of yeah. things would have happened yeah. in their history to link that I, I mean that's that's how it's coming across. So that's exactly it, and it, and, and also just your material culture can affect things. If, a, if you're from a village high up in the mountains, your idea of a river is a, is a young dancing spring-like, very clear. That's your idea of a river god or goddess. Yeah. Whereas if you live in the lowlands, it's a sleepy, slow, dark thing, and that that can affect your idea of time in a sense because mm. it's a flow. So that's the nearest thing you think about time, you think of a river and just things like that, just simple, simple things like that. Yeah, uh, I know uh, Tej Turner, uh, previous guest on the show as well, uh, mm, geography um, was very important to the cultures that he oh, wrote about in his world mm. building and taking that point with the river. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. But as soon as you were saying that, I was also thinking about the equator and how, yeah. you know, yeah. cultures nearer the equator, you know, their days and nights are fairly static, but you put them nearer the yes. poles and the seasons and the longer nights and the longer days and how that you know, sort of view yeah, of the gods uh, and the changeable. Each season of food and yeah. it's out of winter and the, the old tide rituals. Yes. And all, the, all the big classic one, of course, is mm. nomads on horseback versus agricultural people working in fields. You go with an earth goddess generally yeah. or a sky god if you're on horseback and going across the plains, you know. Yeah. Uh... Now... I did do a little bit of research, speaking of research, it was about swordplay. Obviously, Penny Blade, mercenary of the story, you researched a lot of sword skills. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you developed a lot of that on your previous book. And it is really nice how you know, the central character uses rapier and how the interaction with different types of swords and weapons that uh, she encounters throughout the book. But I was just wondering, is there anything like swordplay that you had to research in your current book uh, that's like uh, a key part so you've said they're part of the arts have you researched the arts or you say it's a different century is there anything about the technology of the day or just courtly life if they're part of the royalty uh, or you know it's all like the bastard side of it so maybe they're more of the aristocracy but yeah you know is there anything of those that you've had to research yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't had quite the luxury like I had with Penny Blade because I had all the time in the world with that. But I've, yeah, I've always liked the sort of Shakespearean theatre anyway in that sort of era. So I started reading about street criminals and the theatre, that kind of side of things, and just trying to work out where I am with it. But yeah, perhaps not to the extent of Penny Blade, perhaps not as much as I would like. But there's, there's some fascinating stuff. There's a, a, a book that was released in the Elizabethan times about a guide to looking out for criminals. Uh, just some of them just seem made up. We've got names like Connie Catchers and Bandervilles. So yeah. <laughs> it's just so specific. But yeah, yeah. So it's it's that kind of things definitely worth looking into. Nice. Uh, and do you prefer getting books from the library, like finding stuff online, <laughs> just watching dozens of YouTube videos? What's your research yeah. source? Your research source of choice. 
These days, I tend to just look on Amazon, grab a couple of books about the thing, and then it'll borrow from friends. And then I don't really read those books and just go on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, there's a lot of of YouTube. There's some great channels out there. There is. There's a lot of content. So it's always useful and free. So it's free, yeah. It's it's the great equaliser. Um, yeah. I think we learn well listening to people, perhaps about the reading. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think I was learning at <laughs> The learning, there's some great discounted wine in the Sainsbury's at the moment. Oh, yeah. Keep an eye out. Yeah. We're, um, we're not sponsored by Sainsbury's. No. Way. No. I've got a nectar card. That's it. Okay. Yeah. But so with your getting these books and borrowing from friends and watching things online. Are you a prolific note taker? Do you have lots of notebooks or a folder on your computer or is it just you, you just absorb it and keep it in your head? No, I, don't. I like having a notebook with me. Uh, I find phones really good these days. And um, you can put notes in the old note bit. That's pretty good. And I, I like to get a new notebook for every book, every novel I, I, I write. I like to get the right one. Like um, the one for Penny Blame is all kind of, it's, it's like black snake skin, but it's plastic. But, but they have filled that one up with stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I make notes. I like to, uh, I collect images. I'm very visual. Uh, it used to be I'd cut them out of magazines and newspapers and stuff like that. But these days, just get them off the internet. I'd make a whole set of images because a lot of it's about mood, isn't it? I like to know whether a book's going to be light or dark. And I don't mean in terms of the content, of the, the feel, the, mm-hmm. the it's a very hard thing to explain. Is this going to be like kind of light or is it going to be like a dark, rich kind of thing? And then, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm probably speaking a lot of gibberish here. Right? No, absolutely not. And I think uh, oh. it will resonate with a lot of our readers where... Our readers? No, listeners. Read? They do read, pointless if they didn't. But yeah, our listeners, who a lot of them write as well. And I think that resonating of light and dark, because you do visualise what you're writing. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah most, most writers do. I do occasionally hear of those who don't visualise and it's just the words on the page and making them sound as descriptive as possible, which is that's for another time. You're a visual yeah. writer, we'll focus on you. But yeah, I think there are other visual writers who get exactly that. And I think it's really interesting. And I think a mood board, a visual mood board, that can be massively beneficial. Mm-hmm. So it's great that you do that. Another thing about you know, your planning and beginning process uh you mentioned how with penny blade you just wrote it for yourself you just had this character and you were just writing to see where she went and what was going on now you've been commissioned by titan for another standalone book and you've chosen to set it in the same universe is there more planning in the outline and have you mapped out the plot or is it still like you said you started with an initial character are you still in that kind of free-forming, let's just see where it goes? Or is it more, no, I need to be strict and really map out so I know where I'm going? Yeah, I was, I was, I was mapped out as so I drew out the, um, the the tennis court or the, the sports field, Yeah, the set of rules. It's it's set in uh, one of the cities that's in Penny Blade. And it's kind of, I'm not going to leave there. It's all in that city. And there's a big magical fantasy thing going on that's to do with that city. And the big castle because it's called the keep, but it's called the keep for more than one reason. Okay, and yeah, there's something inside it. 
And uh, so once you've got a character and an idea, then they mm. bang. That's, that's, that's great. So, sorry, what was the question again? Is whether you had more of a strict outline. Yeah, well. which is the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I can bounce the ball around those, those rules. Can't leave the city. It's got to be focused on this big, magical thing. These characters are all handling it and, and, and against each other, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, And no, then no. I let them all play the, the game. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the plot's not sort of worked out, but the, the rules of the game are set out. It's interesting using that t- terminology, rules of the game, because I know that you are a big DD role player guy back yeah, in the yeah. day. So do you feel that. Oh, the- I think so. Yeah, actually, Penny Blade was partly going to be a role playing game. Mm. It was going to be a campaign. I was, I was going to write it for a friend, but then it just went weird and horny. <laughs> well, okay, this is clearly a novel. But anyway, sorry, carry it off. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, for, for those who haven't. You read and listened to all your other interviews. Yes, you found that it wasn't going to be so much of a campaign as just a long monologue. <laughs> where yeah. the, 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 the players would just you know, be an inconvenience to yeah. what was happening. It's just like, no, you can't have decisions because I, yeah. I know how this plays out. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, oh, hang on, yeah. So, I don't know if you'll come out of the GM, really. <laughs> Yeah, but sure. it sounds like having like you know, like you mentioned, you know, sort of the queen and the multi characters. Although you you don't have literal human beings having an input, it does sound like you've got these multiple points of view and these multiple characters mm. playing out, it almost dictating to you a campaign. Yeah, the my own players, self-sufficient gaming group. Yes, it's like it's computer versus computer rather than player versus player. Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, I'll be like that. Yeah, 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 I guess it is. Yeah, it's a style, it's a method, and I, I, I hope it works for you. So I'm going to move on now from uh, once you've mapped out the rules of the game and you started writing the story, how you discipline yourself to get all the words on the page. Are you someone who sets themselves a daily target? Are you someone who just goes, right, I'm going to sit down for the next four hours? Or is it just like, I've got a bit of time, I might as well just chuck a few words on the page. How do you map out your writing sessions? Oh, I have to be a lot more... Uh serious these days because you know they give me an advance and all so it used to be i do about minimum a thousand words a day try to though some days it's just not going to happen but i really aim for one thousand five hundred and if i get carried away i can keep going up to two five three whatever that's quite rare to be fair though actually i was was just thinking the other day i really should uh, do this for myself really i remember reading uh, ian banks saying that people get caught on the how much to write a day when you're saying actually really you want to make it how much you write a week. Okay. I think there's wisdom in that because mm. some days you're just not going to have the energy or life gets in the way. Mm. But then some days you just, just write your yeah, gold pouring out your fingers. So yeah. I think maybe that's the best way. Maybe have a word count, but maybe mm. for a week, which I haven't yeah. done, but maybe I should do that. I think, and also some days you're just problem solving. It's just, okay, they're, they're, in the vaults and the ceilings coming down and you know, the, the doors closing, the sand's trickling out. And it's just like, right, how do they get out of this? And yeah, you just want to make sure that the narrative makes sense. So having a day to go, I'm not going to write anything. I'm just going to think through a plot mm-hmm. problem. That's mm-hmm. still a massively important part of the process. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you shouldn't beat yourself up if you need a day or even a couple of mm-hmm. days like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Some of our best writing's been done washing up or walking mm. around the park, you know. It's, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, actually, 
Yeah, that's that leads on to the next question beautifully. I was going to ask if you have any writing rituals about the time of day that you write or the location. Do you need complete silence, comfy clothes? How do you structure your writing sessions? Um, I've asked a lot of questions in that. Let's break them down. Um, what time of day do you prefer to write? It seems to be the afternoon and okay. evening. I wish it was the morning. Uh, <laughs> my brain can receive in the morning. It can't really okay. transmit. Okay. Uh, yeah, transmit, yeah, okay. yeah. And do you play music or do you need complete silence? Yeah, I need a bit of music, but it's got to be the right kind of music. Okay. I can't have lyrics. Yeah. Uh, because I, I start listening to the story. So classical is very good. I tell you what's good, but a lot of that, uh, I don't play computer games much, but the, 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 your possible Skyrim and your Dragon yeah. Age. That's all on YouTube, yeah. isn't it? There's a really good YouTube channel called Terminal Passage, which has all these obscure prog rock and okay. like jazz stuff from the 70s. This, this guy must be buying this really weird vinyl somewhere and then putting it on this YouTube channel. I've discovered yeah. amazing stuff. What was that YouTube channel called again? Terminal Passage. Yeah, there you yeah. go. And you'll find something on there. You can put, I made a whole list. Of, I also on. feel it might be a good thing to listen to whilst reading the book. I have it as a, an unofficial soundtrack to reading. Just put on a bit of yeah. Terminal Passage while uh, picking up your copy of Penny Blade. Yeah, any of that. A lot of those ones did uh, did come up. Yeah, yeah. And it's the weird prog rock end of that. Nice. Um, yeah, but there's something for everyone. Yes. But yeah, I'd like to get into that sort of zone as far as music goes. Yeah. Well, uh, as I was researching you, I found that you have a YouTube channel that you don't use at all. At all. I recommend that you start gathering and putting playlists of these videos and uh, music videos on uh, that oh, channel yeah, yeah. because I would love as a reader of your work to just go oh I know I could go on Jim's YouTube channel and it would just be like here's the Penny Blade channel and you know, oh my the, god uh, title to be a name yeah just having those playlists I am learning something here that's just that's, that's right. incredible that's a freebie as oh, soon as you do it, I'm, I'm claiming credit but no, that's fine <laughs> Uh, happy to do it. And yes, you mentioned you know, sort of getting ideas when washing up or going for a walk. Mm. Alpha mm. wave, but that's a, a proper psychological recognition of the creative part of the brain. When you have a repetitive task that you don't need to concentrate on, it allows your brain to develop a certain thought pattern where it's just going, okay, I'm walking a, a route I know. I don't have to take my bearings. I, you know, mm. I know this way, mm. so I'm not, don't have to look as focused on obstacles as I would in an uncharted place uh, mm. or washing up. It's like I know the shape of the items that I'm washing. I'm, I know the routine of what I'm doing. And it allows yeah. the brain to go, okay, muscle memory is taking care of most of this. Let's go mm. and problem solve the other aspects of our lives. Uh, uh, and so uh, yes. it's uh, the shower is also a common place. Oh, because again, yeah. it's muscle memory, repetitive action. It's not something that requires a lot of focus allows the brain to go, we don't need to focus in depth on this. Let's do something else. So Alpha waves. I like yeah. that. Maybe I could call one of these uh, album, what was it called, a set list thing you were yeah, saying? Playlist. Well, yeah, playlist. Yeah. Playlist. That's, that's the term we're looking for. But yeah, yeah right. alpha wave. There you go. Tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'm going to down a bit more wine and I won't be as articulate. So that's I will get into my two glass genius zone where oh, everything, yes. everything I think I, I believe is the most intelligent thing I've ever said. Unfortunately, yes. I'm being recorded, so I will find out whether that's true or not. This is the ultimate test. Well, in that case, I better have a quick top up. Yes, absolutely. We've, and I'm, I'm not cutting this bit out. I think it's very important to know that we're going on to our second glass. Yeah, that's uh, round right. two. Yes, I'm not driving anywhere. 
But it's a very important oh. part of... Uh, what are you drinking, the, by the way? What's that? Here's an insight into my uh, life, a lifestyle choice. I'm drinking up from the box. Uh, so a one and a half litres. <laughs> I love That's my fun. life. That's it. You, you can have a bottle, I'll have a litre and a half, thank you. Yes. What the hell are we talking? Writing, I guess. Yeah, writing rituals. And yes, actually, here's a good question. Do you get to a point in the writing process, maybe like 10,000 words in or somewhere, where you just feel like you've lost it? Like, I'm not sure if this story has legs anymore. I'm not sure if I have the ability to write this book to the standard I want and just have a complete lack of confidence moment. Has that ever happened to you? And if so, Um, how have you got through it? Every time, every bloody time, you go, what have I done? I've been there so many times. I feel a little like, do you know, was it Quentin Jaws? Yes. Yeah, he's talking about, oh, oh, it'll come for you. It's eyes lifeless like a doll's. (laughs) (laughs) I found the thing is, perhaps not to push on initially, but push down. It's like, well, why am I in this? Mm. Have I got something wrong? You know. What's triggered it? Yeah, dig under rather than trying to push through. And I find that helps. That's an amazing piece of art. I've not heard that before. And I'm definitely going to start suggesting that on other <laughs> other episodes. And yeah, I was because partly I find a lot of writers get this critical self-doubt around the same place in the book. Maybe it's two-thirds of the way through, or yeah. it's just an admission. Have you noticed that in your writing? Is it around the same kind of critical yeah, point? I'll, I'll be honest, I've just come out of it. Okay. Uh, with the one I'm doing, it was like, oh, just it's all clicking now. I'm in, mm-hmm. the, in the home run. Great. And uh, yeah, so I'm feeling good, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit late for time now. But yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's a learning process. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the process. And it's part of the process. Yeah. But yeah, it, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you've well mainly broken through, but also for our listeners, it's just that indication that all writers feel this. Yeah. So it's yeah, okay, so that's good. I did not uh, think, I think maybe there's something wrong. Or you, or you yeah. just write novella. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be a novel. Okay. Yeah, if, if, if there's no doubt, then it's probably shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah. Know. yeah. Um, so once you've finished the first draft, are you someone who, do you edit as you go or do you write a draft straight through and then go right back to page one? And read through it again. What's your editing process? Yeah, I'm a little bit naughty and I keep editing as a joke. Okay. This time I've, I've gone, don't think about it, we'll go back later. But I can't help it, I do it a bit. Yeah, even when I do the big edit, I really what I want to do is like a structural edit, you know, mm. does it all make sense? And then a voice edit. That, like, say everyone's the voice of each character sounds right. And that's yeah. what I'd like. But I never do that. I just do this sort of one big edit because I just I see a problem. I think, well, I won't spot it next time I come through it. So yeah. I better sort it out now. And um, I know it works. Yeah. I mean, definitely people have different editing styles. And I don't mm. think that there's a universal perfect way. When you're editing as you go, is it like literally you, you type a sentence and go, oh, is that right? And then you type a bit more. Or is it the next day you look at what you wrote written the day before? Or is it the next week you you, know, you look at it on, on a weekly review? Or is it maybe like 10,000 yeah, words? It's the next day. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll just read this bit to get Mm. myself in the groove and keep going. And yeah, then I end up editing the bit I'm reading a bit. (laughs) Perhaps I shouldn't. Actually, I would say from my guests, certainly, uh, Mm -hmm. that has been fairly common that it's Mm. to to have the consistency of narrative Mm -hmm. voice, 
you read what you wrote the day before and yeah if you pick up noticeable errors just fix them then and there mm-hmm. so I, I wouldn't say that's uncommon or, or wrong in any way and that's certainly something <laughs> that I found other successful writers do so I think you're all right I tell you actually a bit of advice I found I don't know if anybody else has mentioned it this is you know to get through the slump I do a thing where I just as I've written a load and I think oh here's a really cool bit I really like I want to write I stop and the idea being is the next day so I get up and I go oh is that exciting bit I want to write hmm. so I used to do a thing where I just write oh that's a cool bit and then I get to a bit that wasn't so cool and it'd be hard to get back on the saddle and do it yeah but if you actually stop you know we're stopping here save it we'll save the fight or whatever yeah. or the witty funny bit and we'll do that tomorrow and it yeah and it's a treat Nice. And then you get back up into the thing quicker. That's uh, yeah. That's my one bit of happy advice. Okay, no, yeah, absolutely. And once you've got a story into its best version in isolation by yourself, uh, yeah. do you have beta readers that you send it to first, or does it go to an editor or your agent? Uh, who reads it next? I'm very blessed uh, by helping a, a writer's group. That's great. We could bring in a chapter. So that's great on a chapter or scene level. We can read it, but you can't really get a book to read an entire novel in it. Here's 120,000 words. Can we words. sort of discuss it next week? <laughs> yeah, yeah, deal with it, you know. But it's, we, did, we read it live. So okay. if I've got a, even quite a dialogue-y, funny scene, this is actually the days before COVID or whatever. We have this with Zoom as well. Yeah. And, uh, but certainly back to the days before COVID, I, what I'd do is give them a, a dialogue or scene and then I'd go and make tea in the corner of the room whilst they're reading and they'd listen out for giggles. Or, or shock. So then you yeah. get a nice sort of feel of the bits of a scene. Yeah. So that only really works for scenes. So I've got a few people, beta readers from that group. Uh, a friend, Matt, he's, he's really good. And I'll bring it to them. But um, the whole book. But these days, I don't know if that's, I'm quite a slow writer in many ways. And I don't know if I've got time to pass it to the old the old gang. I think I have to go straight to the editors now at Titan. This is, this is a new gang and they're pros. So. And what's that but, experience like having you know professional editors at a big uh, publishers? Oh, it's, it's terrifying and then exhilarating in the equal yeah. measure, really. You go, yeah, well, when it goes in, you're like I'm waiting for your results and the mm. medical results or something. Yeah. But um, but they're really good. They're really nice people. They're yeah. ever so they, they know how to handle the artistic temperament yeah. sort of thing. And I I guess with Penny Blade being the first big experience of that kind of editing process, was there quite an emotional roller coaster of getting the edits back and going, oh, I'm crap and, you know, I'm terrible. It's all this red pen. Or was it just, oh, wow, great. They're making me better. You know, how did that feel the first time you got those edits back from Titan? Well, for Ryan Griggs, I'm just, I'm just used to it. One of the few good things is that I'm pretty thick-skinned about writing. You wouldn't send a book like Penny Blade out into the world if it weren't, really. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not me. It's a thing. I think, I think some writers see the book as them. Yeah. Uh, a bit to it is, but it's not an attack on you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I've never had a problem. And actually, they were a lot nicer than I thought they would be. I thought they'd be like, you know, hard-ass editors, sorted out or ship out, worried. <laughs> oh, like 1930s style. Yeah. <laughs> Chewing on a cigar, yeah. <laughs> Give me more pictures of Spider-Man, which would be an odd request. Yeah. I, 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 I so, all right. Pass. I thought I was writing yeah. fancy, but I'll get a camera. Give it a go. Give it uh, a go. Uh, but yeah, so no, I, if uh, you ever, anyone out there, anyone gets a chance to work with Tyler, absolutely mm. snap it up. They're right. the best of the best, friendliest mm-hmm. people. 
can't say enough good things. Good. So yeah, it's, you know, it's very exciting every time. Obviously, you've had a variety of editors working with small press and doing short stories as well. Across all the editing process that you've received, what do you feel makes a good editor, in your opinion? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think they've just got a good balance of kindness and not taking any shit. They've yeah. handled all kinds of people, haven't they? And, they, and obviously, they've got to see the big picture. The version of Paddy Blade I brought in was a little bit too short and a little bit too live. I mean, there's one thing with George Wayne, was it? So you know, this bit, if I get, get it right, uh, this is a mountain that's been carved into a, a pyramid shape with lots of gardens on it. Could you give us more than half a paragraph on that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, so I'm, yeah, okay, yeah, if I must. Yeah. And uh, just, just things like that. And yeah, I, I guess that's what it's about, really. Yeah. And when you've finished a project... Uh, especially one, I guess, is as personal as Penny Blade, where you're writing it for you rather than on contract. Is there a sense of relief of finishing and going, ah, done? Or is it a sense of grief? You've had these characters oh, with oh. you and now you've got to say goodbye because the story's done. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's like saying goodbye at the top of Everest. Mm. Yeah, a mixture of both those things. I, I, yeah, I'd love to do a sequel to Paddy Blade if that happens. I love that gag. And yeah, it's, you never quite finish a novel. There's always something you can always do. But yeah, I remember the first time I finished a novel, which is available from all good uh, cupboards under, under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> but that's you know, the first time you finish a novel, it's absolute. Or you feel like Alexander the Great or Elvis or something. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, a weird mixture of elation and sadness. There you okay. go. Was there much of a break between Penny Blade and the book you're writing on now? Or was it literally just, okay, that's done. Now I better do the next one. How, how long do you have between projects? Well, it seems the system that it's more like you have to do a weird kind of um, head tapping, belly rubbing thing where you're editing the last book and you're also imagineering the, the next book just kind of weird it's yeah so I, I, that's the where i fit it in there's lots of little ideas bubbling away it's, have you ever noticed it's, it's usually when two ideas you've got all these ideas in your notebook mm. and they're inert but then you'll have two ideas you came up with separately like oh, i'd be an interesting guy and that'd be an interesting world and yeah. it, that's when you suddenly get fusion and this sort of creative blast well, uh, yeah, going out of uh, the timeline, because I, I know when this episode's going out and I know the one mm. I'm referencing comes out mm. after yours. Because <laughs> oh, uh, I like to mess with the timeline. Uh, but just telling the future a little bit, I believe like composting, where you uh, have ideas and you just chuck everything in the compost and then let it filter, like decompose and become the fertile soil that the ideas grow out of. Oh, and sometimes, yeah, 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 you have two piles of mulch that you need to chuck in together to create the fertile soil. Yeah, um, and, and you, you don't see that at first, but then, yeah. yeah. I, I had to force the composting a bit this time around because I could have done a different world or whatever. And I was like, I suppose I better do one in the same world, hmm. something for the, the readers of Paddy Blade. I wasn't too committed to anything. Yeah. But there was a little bit of a forced kind of, okay, if I'm going to do one in this world... What do I want to do? Yeah. And I had some ideas. And I like this character. I'll go with this. And the character thing yeah. seems to work for me with Penny Blade. I'll try a character yeah. in this one. And, and it's, yeah, it's worked. So it's, I can't really complain. That's right. 
there might be a yeah. few other characters composting away in the background. Oh, yeah, they're happy. They're happy. I'm, I'm <laughs> right. Uh, as uh, my listeners know, I always like to wrap up with uh, the two same questions. It's my belief that writers continue to grow and develop their writing with each story that they write. Is there anything in particular that you learned from your last story, Penny Blade, that you're now applying to your latest one? Well, that's, yeah, simple. It's simple carefreeness. Mm. Is that a word? Carefreeness? It, it is now. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. As long as your meaning is un- understood, then the language is valid. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's because I wrote that book not really thinking anyone would see it. I only gave it to times for well, they'll read it again, or at least they'll know my name when I sent them a serious book. And, uh, and then I was absolutely shocked when I saw the email saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to buy it. Okay. <laughs> it was, <laughs> that was a real shocker. So this time around, if you have a crazy idea, Something's farcical, something, however the bad taste of it is or whatever, yeah. it will just sod it, just put it in there, see what happens. Yeah, I've gained a certain carefree, what the hell, gun home yeah. thing. Of course, I was careful before. Yeah. So I'd, I'd recommend that to, to anyone else, really. And is there one piece of advice you find yourself returning to when you're writing? So something that you've read or been told that you feel really applies to the way that you write? Oh, God, yeah, I'm a... Just don't lose the sense of fun. Yeah. Never lose the sense of fun, even if it's hard work. Yeah, if it becomes a uh, chore, just take a break. Yeah, take a break. Or, yeah, you know, oh, oh, so there's no bloody point because the reader can smell that. Yeah. It's like, uh, this This is a loveless book. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'd always tell myself, if I fell out of love with it, I'd, I'd get, get out of this and I'd like, become a barman somewhere <laughs> or something like that. Okay. Listen, there's a few pubs down the road. I, I will always drink with you, Jim, but I hope I don't have to do it in your own bar because I love reading your, your writing. On that note, I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. I'd like to thank you very much for being my guest this week. Oh, thank you. That was a lovely interview. You, oh, you're yeah. very welcome. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Jim. <laughs> And that was the real writing process of J.L. Warad. Isn't he great? I think, you know, we had a really nice time. If you think this episode is slightly shorter than usual, and if you think I maybe cut out a load of drunken tangents and have kept a lot of waffle from you, then you're bang on the money, because we got quite drunk. And in fact, I'm pretty impressed with how coherent I made us sound. Whatever you think of my interviewing technique, appreciate I edit these... And I'm pretty fucking proud of this one. If you feel shortchanged, though, and want some more chat between me and Jim, then there is an exclusive little interview we did at EasterCon the day after we met, and it's on my Ko-fi. Uh, it's only available for supporters, but if you pay a pound, you get access to that and all the other exclusive interviews I did at EasterCon. Also, I'm at Chillicon this week, so I guarantee there'll be a load of new interviews being recorded, and they will be available as soon as I can edit them. So that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. And may you always keep writing until the world ends. Time can never be your trusted friend. Or your sworn ally No, it's the harshest mistress of all And life is just a chain of moments
shift and pull up the tides. Never 